You're here with Claudia Hertzenfelder, the International Student Affairs Commission for the SGPS, and we're going to speak to some graduate and professional students here at Queen's University about their research and how it stretches beyond Canadian borders. What are some of the opportunities and challenges this has afforded them? Let's find out. This is Beyond Canada, International Thought and Scholarship. Today, I don't have one person in the studio. I have three people in the studio, all of them from different countries, and we're all looking at a variety of uh, different research. But what's interesting is we've got two people from Ghana, one person from Mongolia, I'm from South Africa, and we're all here to speak about a particular program that brought them to Canada. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to actually let each of you introduce yourselves. If you could just say your name, uh, give a sense of where you're from and what your research is on. And then we'll speak a bit about what brought you here. Um, I'm Fidelia, Fidelia Duga from Ghana. I'm here on the Queen Elizabeth's Advanced Scholarship Program 2019. Um, I'm a research fellow and my research work for the QES 2019 is on male involvement in maternal health. Fascinating. So when when you say male involvement in maternal health, you're speaking now about uh, fathers or uncles or brothers or any, any sort of male involvement? Yes, and particularly for the males who are responsible for the pregnancy, particularly for them. Okay, yeah. so, so whoever is involved in the actual process yeah. of helping yeah. a, a woman so, come to term. Yeah, you could be, could be your spouse, maybe your father-in-law, or any influential male mm-hmm. that has that take part in decision with a woman's health progress throughout the pregnancy, be the antenatal, the delivery, mm-hmm. and then the postnatal. And are you looking at things like decision-making power? Or? Yes, yes. Okay. Because um, my, my country, Ghana, is largely a male-dominated um, society. Mm-hmm. And for women, we need to seek permission. So you're going out, even if it's a hospital, okay, so I want to go to the hospital. I want to go and seek health for this pregnancy. So sometimes you could have the means financially to go. Mm-hmm. Other times you may not. So informing your male partner is like asking for money as well. As far as the permission, so if permission is okay, you can go. That means if it's money I need, you are going to give it to me. So this person can decide, okay, you don't need to go. Mm-hmm. Because uh, from generation, mothers don't go for any antenatal. The babies are just well. Why do you want to go? Stay at home. So this or, is this is a variety of different things happening here. You've got exactly. gender dynamics. You've got potentially different cultural dynamics about yeah. how they relate to health. Um, and and so when you're doing this type of research, you said that you're doing it in Ghana. Is there a particular region or place in Ghana that you're focusing on? Yes, I'm focusing on the Volta region. Okay. Yeah, where the university I worked at, University of Health and Allied Sciences, is located. Yeah, so Ghana introduced a policy on male involvement so many years back, yeah, quite a few years back, but you realize the policy is not really making an impact. What, what does this policy so, mean? So, uh, males are brought on board in terms of a woman's use of family planning, mm-hmm. a woman's use of any of the uh, maternal health related services and you realize still women can't really take up contraceptive usage without the permission of the husband. 
Though part of the policy says a, a, a woman does not need a man's permission, but if you go behind the man to take up family planning and the man realizes, okay, I want four or five children, and they keep on trying, the children are not coming. There could be other problems. A exactly. Right. Then your marriage may be at risk. Either the man going in to take up another wife or a girlfriend so because... your research here, are you looking at the social dynamics between these couples or are you looking at it from like a societal level with these couples? Are you, what, what level are you considering? So I'm looking at both societal and then both the individual. So the, 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 the how will I say it? The design I'm, I'm applying is called the implementation research design. So I'm basically trying to identify the bottlenecks that prevented this policy mm. from Coming being taken up. Exactly. Okay. Because when the policy was brought on board, everyone knew it was a good thing for males to be brought on board to make sure mothers take up most of their health services. Mm. But things are not as they were expected to be. So I want to find out what bottlenecks, the barriers that prevented this policy from really being implemented. That's fantastic. Um, I think I could probably speak to you for a solid hour or two hours. Um, uh, any any sort of gender-related matters uh, really pique my interest. Um, so, but before I get too carried away with your research, let's move. Let's move on. So we've got. Um, okay, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Go for it. Hi, my name is Rinchen Dorch, and uh, you can call me Rinchen. I'm from Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, and uh, Mongolia is, um, is a Central Asian country where mm -hmm. it's uh, unlocked between Russia and China. So the latitude would be uh, quite the same as the Canadian border with the uh, U.S. along, mm -hmm. along those uh, 47 degree. My home city, Ulaanbaatar, would be staying there in the Central Asia. And uh, I'm a medical doctor myself, and I, I work for the uh, Mongolian National University of Medical Sciences, wow. which is the uh, only uh, specialist university for health and uh, medical uh, research and training. So the idea is uh, it's an old system of uh, specialist universities like in the old Soviet countries. So we would have um, more than 76 years of history of doing that training. And, and uh, it's only on health? Only on health. So it's quite rare to see these kind of structures in anywhere else in the mm -hmm. country. They would have more the comprehensive structures. So um, we train more than 90% of our uh, healthcare professionals back at home. And uh, yeah, so uh, I am uh, currently doing a research on uh, air pollution health impact for children's brain development. And and can you explain why this is particularly important in yeah, Ulaanbaatar? Of course. The... Uh, we never had this air pollution issue just about 20 years ago because the mass urbanization came just towards the end of the um, 1990s. We had a big change of uh, constitution from a communist uh, centralized system to uh, a capitalist, uh, a more open society. And this made a, a, a huge amount of uh, mechanical uh, increase of the population in the urban areas. Mm -hmm. People had to move in for a, a stable job. Um, stable, uh, uh, have something stable for the for their children, and a better education system for those reasons. And uh, people just moved into the city, and without the uh, sufficient way to support the infrastructure, so people had to live in a, in a domestic uh, housing called the gers or yurts, mm -hmm. which needs uh, uh, rock coal burning for domestic heating in the winter. Okay. So this led to uh, catastrophic air pollution, just in. 20 years. And your research is focused particularly on brain health in children. For sure, yes. The okay. brain health. The, we all know that the air pollution is uh, 
responsible for childhood pneumonia, respiratory illnesses, stroke, and many other COPD or anything else. We all know those kind of health issues related to tear pollution, but some portion of air pollution health impact is still not very well known. Okay. These are including the uh, brain health impact, and even now people are uh, mostly publishing research on diabetes. So mm-hmm. in, in major uh, metropolitan areas that uh, air pollution can be also linked to diabetes in adults. Really? So that's very no interesting, idea. yeah. And uh, one of the uh, biggest issues in Ulaanbaatar is still we are not managing the exposure level a lot because the air core burning is the only way of supporting the uh, families in mm-hmm. living in a yurt. And uh, we'll see how long it will take to reduce the exposure, but... Uh, Definitely a whole generation is being exposed to this toxic area. So I'm guessing the geographical location of Ulaanbaatar plays into this as well, right? Yeah. Mongolia is a landlocked country. Resources have to get through to you, uh, you know, somehow, sure. some way. Um, okay, interesting. Thank you. And, and in terms of the methods you're using, so pr- previously we spoke about looking at social dynamics. Um, what, what, what is your... Sure, in, sure. Mainly medical? You so, yeah, I do have a medical background, so it would be much more easier and understandable way of researching those impacts on MRI images. So the brain MRI images are not the the best way to see the health impact, but Mm -hmm. would be the uh, most easiest and fastest and reasonable way to discover the anatomical differences on the based on differences of the exposure level. So are you comparing children to today to MRIs that were taken previously? in different anyway, locations? Yeah. Sure. Uh, the uh, the way we are designing it is to uh, select about 100 children who were born in Ulaanbaatar. Uh-huh. So we will track back to their personal exposure through the air monitor stations. So so it means that we can say uh, an estimate of how much air pollution they're being exposed to so far. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see the uh, brain anatomical images in their difference, which is not the... Uh, prospective design so this is uh, definitely a cross-sectional design okay so uh, there was a, a two big studies on, on on similar design in new york city and and the mexico city in the mexico the uh, the mexico city would have a similar condition of in, in, a, in a station in a in a valley okay so uh, in in the new york city study had uh, a difference of their left brain white matter hemisphere size being reduced due to air pollution Fascinating. Yeah. All right. And and uh, then again, um, it's, a, it's a pity that we're squeezing all three of you into one one episode. But unfortunately, and the reason will become clear sooner, um, I found out about these three scholars, the third of which has been very patient, um, through an article about the Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Program. And all three of them are actually about to leave Canada in about a week or so. So I jumped on the bandwagon. And without further ado, let's get uh, the lowdown of our third, our third Queen Elizabeth Scholar. Hi, my name is Nuozan Kube, a lecturer and a clinical psychologist from the School of Public Health, University of Health and Allied Sciences, uh, located in the southern part of Ghana, Volta region. Um, yeah, I come from the Hohe campus, mm-hmm. uh, which is the second campus with the main campus located in the capital of the region, which is Ho. Um, yeah, I'm on this uh, key US scholarship basically looking at uh, mental health issues among pregnant women. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my research for the QS program. And what, what kind of mental health issues would you find among pregnant women? Okay, so there, there is so much evidence on uh, 
postpartum mental health issues, the common ones being uh, depression, anxiety, um, and evidence is emerging regarding suicide among uh, both postpartum mothers and pregnant mothers. But uh, in relation to Ghana, um, the, not much has been done because mental health on its own has received little attention in the Ghanaian context. It's now that um, there is so much interest and people are whipping up the energy to really pay attention to mental health. Mm. Because uh, if you look at the definition of health, it's incomplete without looking at the mental aspects yes. of the individual. So I'm motivated by the fact that a lot of attention has been focused on the postpartum, you know, depression. And when you mention mental health issues in mm. uh, maternal health, everybody is looking at postpartum depression. But Okay, and I, how, how are you going to gather this sort of uh, information? So what is your what is your strategy? Are you looking at like hospital reports or doing interviews? Um, before I came, I had collected my data okay. from the women who were presenting for antenatal care mm-hmm. in their various, you know, stages of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, we interviewed them with uh, standardized questionnaires measuring depression, anxiety, sleep problems, and some uh, behavioral risk, you okay. know, factors that are known in the literature elsewhere. Yes. And as I indicate, indicated earlier, not much has been done in our area, especially the Volta region where my school is located. And uh, as a mental health advocate, to be able to advocate for any policy or any practice change. Mm. It should be based on evidence. Yes. So I, the whole agenda is to be able to gather some evidence which can be used as the basis to advocate for inclusion or integrating mental health services into the primary health care for pregnant women. Fantastic. Because mental health issues in pregnancy are significant risk factors for postpartum you know, depression, depression, suicidal ideation, and some other challenges that will affect not only the mothers, but the children as well and society as large. And would this also be monitoring the, the child during the course of the pregnancy, or are you only interested in the mental health of, of like, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, is this just a, a social study and that you're trying to understand the, the mother's social platform and social way of being and her, um, I guess, perception of how she currently feels throughout the process? Or is it also does it also involve possibly more invasive measures of, of monitoring? Invasive is maybe not the right word, but... Um, yeah, so it, I, I yeah. think it's okay with the invasive. Um, my background is in social science. Okay. Yeah, I train as a psychologist, so okay. um, I look more at the social aspect, social science aspect of the healthcare system mm-hmm. by focusing on the mental health. So we are only interested in mothers' own experiences in terms of their well-being, Fantastic. how they feel throughout the pregnancy, how they're coping, how they're coping okay. throughout the pregnancy period. And then would you be flagging like, oh, these come up as, you know, potential issues to creating definitely uh, i mean i have started doing some of the analysis and uh, depression anxiety have come up with sleep problem as major issues that these women face um but suicide was just about three percent wow yeah suicidal ideation was just about three percent but then that is also understandable looking at the fact that suicide is a criminal offense in ghana it's a criminal so, offense. So, yes. Uh, who, who would be held liable? If 
the attempter will be held liable. So if oh, so you if attempted you, if suicide, you are not successful. if you are not successful, for instance, there was a news item yesterday um, that a man wanted to jump from a bridge a, a, building, a building or a statue a very long statue because he said the wife uh left him and then uh, he wanted to commit suicide i just read on my platform mental health platform that this man has been arrested so you see if we don't uh, examine these mental health issues among pregnant women depression could predispose these women to suicidal behaviors yeah. and they may not be able to talk to people because suicidal attempt is Criminal. criminalized it's fascinating the distinction between what is seen as a criminal versus i mean you, you almost saw like things like alcoholism i guess go through these types of ebbs and flows as well in society where a while ago i mean historically it was seen as you know a crime it was a crime to to get drunk and now if you're an alcoholic it's seen as a you know it's a, it's a mental health issue it's yeah. an issue that needs to be dealt with in a chronic uh, way i don't have all the uh, the correct vocabulary to talk about with regards to health as you're probably picking up on and all three of you are health experts but i might i must be quick to add that there, there has been so much effort from uh, uh, mental health professionals in mm. ghana to decriminalize uh, suicide yeah and because uh, in recent time there are reports there have been reports of suicide you know cases among university students uh, college students mm. and uh, even the elderly people are committing suicide here and there so there's so much that is being done i think letters have been sent to the attorney general's department and people are following up to make sure that suicide is seen or suicidal behavior mm. is seen as a mental health issue rather than a criminal yeah. you know behavior so as a clinical psychologist interested in the women's health mm -hmm. and uh, with mental health background i i was thinking yeah if this qs program is about maternal and child health i should do something on mental health provide some evidence on the the rates of depression anxiety Brilliant. and uh, sleep problems among so women to I'm, inform decision. I'm happy you brought up the, so we keep saying QE scholars. So QE scholars stands for Queen Elizabeth scholars. So people who are listening uh, could, so now we're just going to kind of have a conversation. So we went through relatively prolonged introductions, but I think your research was interesting and worthwhile, uh, you know, making sure that we somewhat have a comprehension of what you guys are talking about. So can you guys tell me what, what is Queen Elizabeth scholars? Like what, what is that? Is it a Canadian thing? Uh, give me a breakdown. Um, so the uh, it stands for uh, QES is for uh, Queen Elizabeth Advanced Scholars Program mm -hmm. in, 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 in the full terms and uh, is a Canadian government scholarship program for Canadian universities to have a collaboration with their international collaborators and this would allow institutional access and inbound and outbound the scholars to exchange between the, the two institutions and this would allow um, collaborative research and joint trainings and, and so on. So this is important in a broader term that's to support the uh, collaboration uh, with the uh, lower and middle income institutions as well as, well as to support the uh, towards the internationalization of uh, Canadian universities. Mm. So this is an important aspect as an in academia that uh, ranking is one of the uh, important issues that to have an, uh, an identity in the world so it would count and uh, i think th this is one of the reasons why the uh, government is supporting these kind of programs and uh, the arch uh, network stands uh, at the queen side which is from uh, four faculties at the queens 
So they are uh, interested in to, to support the uh, maternal and child health research in a global health perspective. Okay, so that makes sense. That's why that's why you guys are primarily looking at, uh, you know, issues pertaining to maternal or child health. Um, okay, so you mentioned their internationalization. Uh, and, and firstly, is this something that's only done at Queen's University or there are universities across Canada taking in scholars? No, I think across that... Uh, across Canada, there are several, you know, universities with mm-hmm. each university focusing on specific research theme. Okay. So I think Queen's focus is on maternal and child health equity. Uh, and when you go to other universities, they are, some are into agriculture. Fascinating. Some are into uh, global warming. And they have some. specific, these institutions have specific collaborations with specific uh, Inst- other institutions. Institutions. Okay. So for instance, I can offer to say that University of Alberta and University of Ghana School of Nursing have a collaboration mm-hmm. where they also take up students or faculty from University of Ghana School of Nursing to University of Alberta, where they are also trained and their capacities are built. And how Just long like do you how long do you train for? What is what is considered training? You you, you come to you come to Queens. What 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 does that involve? Okay, so for us, for us, we've been here for ninety days. So for June, we've been in series of workshops, mm-hmm. basically methodological workshops on quantitative, qualitative. Uh, how to do systematic review, introduction to some digital ways of data collection now. So, yeah, that have been some of the how to supervise students. So some of them are workshops to sharpen our skills. Most of them were not entirely so new. Mm-hmm. But, you know, things are changing. So we need to be attending some of these workshops to know what new things are coming up exactly. for us to also upgrade our skills even as we teach others and apply all this to research. So for the QS, the whole of June, all the workshops we have are to build capacity in us. Mm-hmm. So it's seven like TOT, trainer of trainees. So when we also go back to our home countries, we to impart or train our other colleagues in some of these trainees we also had. Mm-hmm. And then we translate this into research, into teaching to make our work better. Do you do any teaching while you're at Queen's? Do you do you work with any no. students while here? No, no, no. Most no. of our teaching works are back home. Okay. Because yeah. um, I was, it was quite interesting when you mentioned now internationalization. Um, you know, that's also, you're coming here, I think, just in the act of being, you know, as an international student myself, you bring different perspectives. You bring, bring different views into classrooms and into spaces. And I think that that's really, really, really valuable. Yeah, and uh, to add to my colleagues' uh, submission, I think one of the key components of uh, this scholarship is to build leadership capacities mm-hmm. through networking with other Queen's faculty. And so when we came, we were paired with scholars with similar research interests. Fantastic. And uh, I think some of us, or most of us, have started developing some collaborative works with people across you know, schools and faculties and I think that helps in the internalization internationalization process of uh, Queen's University. Yeah. Because as we go back to our various countries, we still maintain the contacts and do collaborative projects that will lead to publications, that will lead to policy decisions, yeah. which will be as a result of being part of QUS. Exactly, and, by and, Queens. and it's not just uh, your connection with a Canadian, uh, you know, colleague, right? No. How many, how many QE scholars were there? 
Okay, for this year we have seven. Seven of us. Seven. And how many countries were represented by those, those I, seven? I believe it's more than 70 countries. And uh, if I may jump in, it's more, uh, they are much more looking for opportunities with the Commonwealth countries. Okay. And uh, the scholarship is named after the Her Majesty Canadian Queen's, uh, I think it's the Diamond Jubilee mm-hmm. uh, anniversary. So, uh it is to promote the collaboration with not necessarily only Commonwealth countries, but they are more encouraged, I believe. And in your and cohorts, uh, which countries which countries were represented? Oh, yeah. four. We are four, four. at the moment. Yep. Yeah. So Ghana, uh, Mongolia, Zambia, Zambia, Zambia. DRC Congo, Democratic yeah. Republic of Congo, mm-hmm. yeah. and then uh, your Canadian colleagues. So these are five different countries, people meeting, and did you guys work together on anything, or are you only paired off with your uh, independent or different Canadian colleagues. To what extent did you actually collaborate across those, those? Um, okay. So for now, um, we all have our individual research works that uh, we are working on, mm-hmm. but we've also started sharing ideas on how we can collaborate on uh, some common research mm-hmm. interests that we have. But as I said earlier, even among ourselves, we have started, you know, putting our heads together to yeah. see how. We develop this uh, relationship further uh, after leaving Queens. But as I indicated earlier, we've started building connections. For instance, myself, I have been in touch with uh, uh, professors at the Cancer Research Institute, and we've started developing protocols that would be working on together. And I'm sure wrenching to has had some interactions with people at the for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure and uh, one other country we left to mention is Thailand so uh, the way how it works is that the uh, the main uh, faculties at the Queens would have to pick their collaborative institutions mm-hmm. then would have the uh, member of understand them and then do ha- would have some agreements to exchange as faculties in in going and outgoing so uh, I think it's the it's the most important relationship to have a connection with the Canadian institution and mm-hmm. then to have an international collaboration. Yeah, fascinating. And one of the challenges. So prior to coming to this uh, this interview today, we spoke about one of the the challenges of doing international research and international collaborations like this was balancing mutual interest where resources are disproportionate. So is is that you know what what do you think about that uh, in terms of disproportionate resources in different locations yeah so the uh, the idea was that uh, it would be more uh, beneficial for two sides to collaborate if the uh, interests are shared equally mm-hmm. so they could benefit and uh, the w- to work the, the most beneficious way for the two sides so now we are more looking for a Canadian side to invest in, in research projects, but in the future... You're meaning financially Financially, invest. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that we can work towards more uh, collaborative projects and possible future grants so that we can have a more sustainable and uh, fruitful mm-hmm. collaborations within two sides. And I mean, do you find that in general in your fields that there's more research coming out about certain places? Like Canada, does it have more research on, you know, brain health in children or maternal health or the involvement of men in, in uh, you know, uh, maternal care. Do you find that there is uh, more research coming out of, you know, places like Canada or the US or the UK because of this difference in resources? Or is that an illusion? Is that actually not the case? And, you know, there's a lot of research coming out of these places uh, with regards to health. For me, I would say... 
Not so much in terms of maternal health because some of these countries have very low maternal mortality. Mm -hmm. So some of these issues are, excuse me to say, negligible to them now. While they are huge issues at our end. And in terms of our end, so we don't so much focus on them because of the resources in terms of doing this research. Research is quite too expensive, yeah. you know. So unless we get funding from some of these developed countries or other agencies who are willing to support, it becomes very difficult. Mm. So we realize some of the issues we from the low and middle income countries focus on them more than the very developed countries because of how, I don't know how to put it. Different agendas? Exactly, mm. exactly. Because for us, so maternal issues are still so much of an issue at our end. Mm -hmm. But over here, I'm not sure. Okay, it's yeah. interesting because you're speaking yeah. now maybe about policy versus, you know, academic interests versus what is actually needed in a different location. Um, interesting. So another challenge that you mentioned was uh, that there are different orientations and approaches to doing research that could complicate relationships. And I think that this is maybe something that's come up in your interactions with, you know, are, are there different ways of doing research? You found that people look at doing it differently, maybe even practical dimensions that can make doing international research complicated? No, I, I think what we've come to learn so far is that um, some of the things that we overlook uh, back home, these are very, very critical issues here. Could you give me an example? Um, so, for instance, usually doing research with children, it's not that much, you know, in our part of the world, it's it's not that very much, but we've come to learn that there's so much that is being done in the Canadian context mm. with uh, some of our um, workshop facilitators we have. I mean, there are ways and means of maneuvering some of these uh, challenges. So if you are coming from a background where uh, not much research focus has been there, mm -hmm. it becomes uh, a bit challenging to you to be able to Work. But I think uh, in overcoming that challenges, um, as being open-minded to mm. learn new things and embrace the current trends, because uh, we are being trained or equipped as leaders yep. in our various fields. So, uh, yeah, we see it as a challenge. And then the, the orientation, because of the trainings that we're given, how we go about research, the little nuances would come to play. So that's what we mean by the challenges mm -hmm. here and there and and do you find when, when you're speaking about sort of a great example a focus on on child health or child mental health um you know for for me it was coming from south africa it was quite surprising to see the kind of focus on mental health even even here there is a focus in south africa but still here it's it's quite visible at Queen's University that there's a lot of effort being taken to take things like mental health seriously and to make some of these connections. Um, but how much does do you find that reading the literature, for example, so there is an uneven balance of where literature is being produced from. Uh, you know, one of my previous episodes, we spoke about how that's a product of language. So all of us come from, uh, you know, we, we have various languages in our countries, but English is an operational language in all of our countries which enables us to access a variety of resources, right? How much do you find that the literature on health in general and in your specific fields translates to being used when you look at your specific context? 
So if there's literature coming out of Canada or out of the US, how useful is it for you in your context? So, um, for instance, my field of um, mental health, I, I, I think that um, because of the socioeconomic differences mm. and then the various belief systems would influence the way people even manifest and present symptoms. So you may have um, literature reporting about prevalence of a particular mental health issue, mm -hmm. but then you may come to our setting and realize that that may not necessarily be an issue that really... So we also need to adopt or adapt the things that are the best practices here or mm -hmm. the research that have been done here to our home countries and see how uh, they come up and we can contextualize them to meet our local needs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we cannot import uh, holistically whatever is being done in the U.S. or being done in Canada here and say we are implementing that. Mm. There are differences that may influence the outcomes. So it's important we also mm. take the best practices. What is the current trend here? Can we trans... So it's important to contextualize. Contextualize. To have, to have a look at what the local dimensions are. And is this a wrenching? Is this important in your... So I'm, I'm also from a social sciences background. And for mm. me, it's context, context, context. Yes. Uh, if you don't understand the you know, the, the, the social dynamics, the different cultural dynamics, the different language dynamics, then, I, I mean, I think you phrased it beautifully in saying that you could literally present symptoms differently depending on what's, what's in essence socially allowed, right? But how does this then play out, for example, with you, Wrench, in, in, in your more, right. uh, you know, lab? I'm putting it in quotation marks again. I don't know the right words to use here. For sure. And uh, I would have the different opinion on that uh, particular question, mm -hmm. that the science is for everyone. We Everyone is uh, experiencing the uh, benefits of scientific research, not necessarily at this point of time that the new drug would come jump into Mongolian market it, same day or same same year, but along the way that the standard of care would change towards the more internationally recognized drugs. For mm -hmm. example, uh, we were doing a, a lit review on hepatitis C medication. So just uh, just five or six years ago, we were in a world that there is no um, uh, a reliable drug treatment for hepatitis C and people will die from this disease. But just in five or six years period that now Mongolia has now access to modern safe medications just as because of uh, good sciences going in, in much more developed countries like U.S. and Canada. So it doesn't necessarily mean that only the developed countries would benefit from scientific mm -hmm. rigorous research. So along the way, we all the people would benefit from scientific research, I would say. Okay, but in terms of your specific, so I, I get that the output is, is the sure. same, that, that potentially, and, and I think this translates even to the social sciences, that if you find a country is developing good policy mm -hmm. on something, uh, it's not to, cut, to, you know, to cut and paste it. I think there are more variables sure, involved sure. in translating, but to then say, well, this is an, an, a case of best practice. How can this be emulated? So I think that that scientific principle cuts across, you know, across the spectrum, but to varying degrees of, of uh, in quotations, universality, right? There's only, in the social sciences, you can't be complete in, in that sense, maybe. But in your own research, so for example, you're speaking about Ulaanbaatar. I think sure, sure. There, there are, in, in doing that, what kind of, you think it just translates, so if someone in Denmark is doing mm. research on pollution in 
Copenhagen. Sure. Does that translate uh, more easily than what you think would happen in maybe the social sciences? Um, this would be, uh, sure, uh, a, a good question too. That is transferable mm -hmm. because now the air pollution is becoming a global health problem and also a health equity problem. So uh, the world is changing towards the clean energy as much as possible. However, yet still the world is experiencing terrible air pollution all over the world. So mm -hmm. with this now uh, global warming issues and clean energy issues, it will be more and more difficult to manage in the future for mostly in lower and middle income countries. And this would be also the same question and for uh, a developed nation where um, mass urbanization is the issue. Mm -hmm. For example, the uh, prenatal exposure from the uh, traffic related uh, air pollution is also well known. Uh, a toxic exposure for pregnancy and maternal health outcomes. So this is a knowledge that can be used everywhere else. And now I'm thinking to, to try and bring you three together in some sense. Um, when I'm going to say your name incorrectly, Philippe? Fidelia. Fidelia. I knew there was a D in there. Fidelia. This has happened. I was. I was telling. I was telling Rinchin that this has happened to me every single episode. It's, it's, become, it's becoming a thing. Okay, Fidelia and Rosa. Yeah. Kind of. Nuwaza. Nuwaza. Okay. Um, to what extent do you actually find in your respective fields, has pollution ever come up as something to think about with maternal health or with, like, is that something that even, you know, is featuring in conversations about, I know this, this is like totally left field and not what you're focusing on, but does pollution ever come up? Well, not for, not so much as an issue to look at. But I think in terms of the context where we are, the, how will I say it? Maybe the nature of our road and then the environment where we live, when it's hammer time and the rain is not falling, mm. you realize there's so much dust. So that's why issues of pollution and those things really come up. And then disposing of waste. Sometimes I see people burning waste, especially the um, aboboshi. Plastic. The, yeah, those plastic and then the metallic ones. Yeah, issues of those come a bit. I don't know, not in terms of the maternal health that I've really... Mm. Yeah, I don't know about my colleagues. No, I, I think uh, on my part, uh, we've not really uh, looked at uh, issues of uh, pollution and uh, its impact on mental health. And, yeah. uh, Sorry, and it's I, a bit of a no, strange but, but question. I, but I think, I think it will be an interesting <laughs> area to start looking at. Especially if you study environmental psychology, where you know that the environment has a significant impact on human beings' sure. well-being, and it's not just in terms of the like the environment the is actually physically changing. The physical changes and they could impact on your well-being, even emotional well-being. Oh, I think that that mm. that is an area that. Uh, I mean, even could... psychologically speaking, you're seeing a lot of information coming out, rightfully so, about climate change and that this needs yeah. to be taken seriously. And, um, you know, as Renchin pointed out, this is affecting different countries differently. Um, and then maybe, you know, you're about to bring a new person into the world, whether you're a father or a mother, whether you're carrying the child or not. And there's a lot of scary stuff happening about pollution and about climate change. And I mean, yeah, just I'm spitballing now. I'm going on my own like uh, tirade. I wonder. I, I know for me, the worry there with the maternal health always been the dust. Mm. I I hate dust a lot. So I remember when I was going to give birth to my first child and where we were located first, there was a dusty road just not far from us. 
So I was like, oh goodness. So this little baby will be inhaling dust mm. when cars are plying the road up and down. So in terms of all those ones, you're right. You keep on thinking like a new baby coming, immunity so low. Mm. How are you going to actually deal with this pollution? It's really, the, so the just the scales. Yeah. yeah, so I think that you've just drawn our attention to possible area of collaboration. Yeah. Uh, with, with, uh, <laughs> because uh, with Renchin's medical background yeah. and uh, uh, implementation research background yeah. and mental health background, we we'll now have to see some possibilities of how we can even collect some data mm. in Mongolia and compare that with Ghana to see how sure. these things pan out. So Why not? I mean, urbanization is a key, it's a challenge. They say, I mean, Africa everywhere. is the fastest urbanizing place in the world by by a long shot, right? There are more African cities coming up uh, than, than anywhere else uh, at a rate that's unprecedented. So asking these questions, I think, is really... Um, Fascinating. So now you're seeing my geography brain. Like, yeah. You said urbanization, and I was like, ding, ding, ding. maybe I can contribute. Um, so that's really a fascinating conversation. And I'm going to move now because you just actually touched on it. So collaboration is one of the opportunities of doing international research. We've spoken about that a fair bit. Um, and you, you mentioned uh, prior to this, that I'm actually earlier on in the interview, that there's a joint publications is a good opportunity. Why do you see international collaboration as being a way in which you could create publications? Like, how, how does this, you know, you each publish in your own realm, in your own country, and, and journal articles are available any which way, from any location you can publish anyway, if, if you've got the resources, right? If you've got the means to do so. So how does, how does international or collaboration aid in this Right, uh, if I may jump in, uh, mm -hmm. it's more difficult for researchers to publish in English in Mongolia mm -hmm. because the uh, native and the official language is Mongolian. So this, it would have culturally and uh, the way we're, the right is completely different from the English structure. And uh, now I have learned so much about the uh, English narratives in academic writing. Mm -hmm. And so this would be, would be mean more um, a way to support the Mongolian researchers to publish in English. Artic uh, journals, so mm -hmm. that's an important point for us, actually. And so to help with with just saying, only, getting yeah. your points across. Yep, that's the point. Yeah. So uh, yeah, in collaboration with the native speaker is just just the best thing to have for uh, scientists from Mongolia, I'd say. Because mm. <laughs> you're both contributing the ideas. Sure, sure. But perhaps it's it's not this as easy. This would be more ideal to have a support from a na native speaker, so who who can s support the. Uh, the grammar and the structuring mm -hmm. and everything else and narrative-wise, and that would make a huge difference. And because academic language is its own. Um, and I also think publishing with people who are um, internationally known in your field, mm -hmm. and for most of us who are just early career, you know, early career this, you know, they expose you and they get to launch you. So with time, people start getting to know you as also being an expert in that same field. So mm -hmm. the international collaboration in terms of application helps in that way. Because you become associated with the people yeah. to whom you aspire, right? Yeah. And, and I also think it's really valuable in sort of for speaking, speaking for myself, I think it's really valuable that the process of writing is also a process of learning. So particularly if you're collaborating with someone that you respect and someone who you admire, that that actual process, it's not just 
you know, it's, it's, it's actually having those conversations, having to do those edits, those reviews, because um, I mean, gosh, publication takes a long time to get out, right? <laughs> You're talking now about like a year long <laughs> collaboration. So if I may add something, and um, as my colleagues have also said, I, I think one of the important things that we all appreciate is that publication is both an art and a science mm. and uh, you keep improving uh, with ideas from different you know people uh, people with varied expertise in the field some are very well established and as young faculties uh, the purpose is also to ground us in our various research areas so then these collaborations offer you the opportunity to learn mm. the best practices from them you know and then the because you're never really just a teacher you're always a teacher and a yeah. student right yes like you guys coming here you're <laughs> being here you're you're scholars you're learning you're taking on your student hats once more because we're never really ever fully you know faculty yeah. student like we draw these quite distinct boundaries when in my opinion the best scholarship is done uh you know Constantly, you're always learning. <laughs> yeah, you're all, you're yeah. always learning. Uh, and the, the the important thing also is that uh, uh, in our academia, networking becomes very very important mm. uh, because uh, some of these well established professors have networks. They have access to conference, you know, organizations and all those things, and they can actually support mm. you, share information with you because you publish with them. You have similar interests, and they want their presence also felt in other parts of the world. Mm. Uh, you know, we are becoming a, or the world has become a global village, and so therefore you can't just be in your country and only be making impact. If you really want to be known, mm. your impact needs to be felt all over. So that's that's. I mean, I think this is a beautiful place to to maybe even call our conversation, um, because that's a tip and advice to give to current graduates and master students, right? So a practical thing, potentially. If 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 and give me if I'm wrong, correct me, please. Mm -hmm. But. Um, that as much as you're doing your master's research or your PhD research and you're embroiled in doing it, you need to pay attention to these conferences, pay attention to the opportunities to meet others because that's, people remember faces, I think. People yeah. remember, what do you guys think? Is there any other tips and advice you'd give to graduate students who are about to become early career academics? Um, on, on, <laughs> on, on my part, I think you've said it, but I think one of the issues that I need to... Um, every graduate student should have at the back of his of her mind is to keep an open mind uh, in meeting people. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be quick to judge the expertise of somebody because of the person's appearance or mm. just uh, things you've heard about the people because uh, you never know people you are meeting. Exactly. So you open up your mind, meet people, interact with them, and then uh, you may end up learning so much from them. And I think it's one of the things... I personally have come to learn here. Mm -hmm. We attended presentations and then uh, we've interacted with people and they have been of great value to us. For example, a professor is sponsoring me to attend a conference in November. Wow. A cancer conference to just go and network with other scholars in my field of study. And that's a direct result of coming direct here. Direct result of coming here wow. through QUS and Queen's University. So, and uh, I'm good. We started developing protocols together with some other colleagues in African countries. So I think that that should be the aim of every 
graduate student to mm. open his or her mind and look out for the opportunities out there to network and then uh, collaborate with well-established right. people. Right, right. Yeah. That's, uh, in other words, it's part of being mobilized and being supported so that uh, they can have an experience of uh, getting to their next steps. So I would uh, definitely say that graduate students to have more support from the uh, uh, professors or uh, collaborators so that they can have a sense of what's going to happen for them in the coming few years if they mm. maintain their uh, academic lives so they would be needing more uh, grants research opportunities and they would be more challenging there for them to have a academic life so that's mm -hmm. part of it yeah time and money yeah yeah that's the I only thing what's mobilizing us after all mm. and I think they really need to take advantage of the conferences, seminars, and try to attend as much as they can. Because some of us, I know, along the way, most of our learnings have been practical, not so much of theory. Mm. So if they have such opportunities to do presentations, be it international conferences, local conferences, take advantage of it. Mm. You keep on building yourself. Because it's not easy to really stand in front of a crowd, even if it's in terms of teaching, oh, yeah. Or conference presentations. So all these are great opportunities. That's a beautiful. I think that's really valuable advice. Uh, if you're going to one conference a year, I mean, practice makes perfect, right? Yeah. So if you're just taking the opportunity to speak, and again, you learn through speaking. Yes. At least I find that when I speak, I learn. So. Thank you, everyone. Uh, before we say goodbye, I gave you a challenge at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> and uh, and I'm wondering if anyone's got anything for me. So normally at the end of this, um, at the end of, you know, a show, we play a song that someone has told us that reminds them of either their research or the theme of the podcast. And all three of them came in here today, absolutely like blank, um, <laughs> except for one, one song, which potentially might become the song. Does anyone have any ideas? Uh, for me, uh, Lucky Dubé's. Uh, Ooh, Lucky Dubé. Uh, yeah, Lucky Dubé. He sang a song where um, he said, "Not every black man is my brother, and not every white man is my enemy." He's just telling us that uh, we should appreciate diversity. Okay. So, Lucky Dubé, um, and, and he's from he's from South he's Africa. He's from South Africa, <laughs> Durban. Kind of, I, I mean, Durban guy. So. Because you've been to I've Durban. I've been to Durban, yeah. so I actually have a a sense of you know belongingness to. Zululand. What? So you did your PhD there. Yeah, in KwaZulu Natal. Uh, so oh. yeah, I graduated this year. The connections in this room are unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've, I've traveled to Ghana and I've been to Mongolia. So Whoa. And then to find out that the one one of the places I went to was the Volta region, yes. Yes. which is where you guys and beautiful. I mean, the palm trees and the beaches. Um, again, it's like. It was Ghana, and I was used to Accra, the big city. And then Mongolia, just the, the flat, open spaces, absolutely beautiful. And then to find out that you also did your PhD in South Africa. You to myself. What? <laughs> That's so cool. Okay, so Rinchen, you need to go to South Africa. And then all of us would have had a, a, had a time yes. there. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm definitely going to put on some Lucky Dube. I wish you all the best of luck going back to your home countries, uh, getting started on these awesome collaborations. I'm excited, actually, right now about some of the potentials of what's happening. And uh, I hope you spread the word about the QE Scholars program and get, uh, get more people of your 
you know, of your outstanding attitude and inspiration uh, here at Queen's. I think thank you so much for contributing to our campus and, and you know, bringing your views. Yeah, thank, thank you for, for having us. Uh, yeah. We enjoyed our stay. Awesome.
A big thank you to today's guest, as well as to all of the staff here at CFRC, with a special thanks to the station manager, Diana Janssen. The bed music for this podcast is Mafiki Zolo featuring Uhuru singing Kona. This has been Beyond Canada, International Thought and Scholarship. <laughs> <laughs>